Good morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend. We are grateful that you are here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church, and I'm joined with Pastor Dave. Welcome you here, and uh, we are excited about uh, Pastor Craig uh, and the team boarding the airplane there uh, in Nairobi and headed back this way. We're excited about that. That travel time somewhere around 30 hours total that they have. So they'll get here sometime tomorrow afternoon, evening. But I am thrilled that he will be back in Georgia, back in Buford, and back at Ivy Creek. And next Sunday, he will be back in the pulpit, Lord willing. And I know that you are thrilled about that and looking forward to that. But in the meantime... You're stuck with me, and so that's where we're going to be. We're going to be looking at God's Word together. And uh, I am grateful for Pastor Craig allowing me the opportunity uh, to share from God's Word. And I hope you have your Bibles this morning. Please take them and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we are going to be looking at one of my favorite passages from all of Scripture. And uh, I... Uh, when Pastor Craig told Dave and I that he was going to be away for two Sundays going to Kenya, uh, we talked and it just worked out where it made so much sense for Pastor Dave to preach last week with us recognizing our seniors. And uh, he did such a fabulous job as he uh, spoke to them and spoke to us as parents and as a church family about discipling uh, others and our responsibility of embracing that. And so I thank him for that. But uh, I've had some time to think about and to pray uh, through what God would have for us to share. And God has been so gracious to give me uh, the liberty and the freedom to look at one of my favorite passages that uh, has just been uh, very instrumental and in my life and really in the life of my family uh, through uh, so many days and times when this, we just come back to this verse over and over. And uh, that verse is Ephesians 3.20, which is familiar to so many of you. But Paul says there, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is work within us. Even before Tracy and I got married, this kind of became our verse uh, as, as a couple as we were moving towards marriage and uh, just directed us in so many ways uh, and then has continued to. And this verse has really kind of hung as a banner over so many times in our life where we've just seen God do some great, wonderful things where he's allowed us just to see him in special ways and see him working and doing things in his church and being so gracious to allow us to be a part of that. And, uh, and we have just been able to give testimony to the truth of his word spoken from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. But then also, this verse has buoyed us through times that were incredibly challenging times that where you just wondered how are we going to take one more step and we have come back to this verse and just found great strength and great encouragement from it so because of that I, I am excited and just 
really honored that God would allow me to preach from this passage today. It is my prayer that during our time that God by His Holy Spirit would speak to you and that these words from this passage could be an encouragement to you and that you could draw from the truth of this, not only in the week to come, but this could be something that you could draw from in days and days to come that would be a blessing, a help, and that God could use in our church for His glory and for His honor. So I'm, I'm thrilled that we're looking at this passage today. I, I stand before you and I am uh, uh, somewhat, uh, I feel like W. Criswell, the great pastor from, uh, Bab- uh, from Dallas uh, First Baptist Church, and he was the pastor during the days when that church just experienced amazing growth, and God just was doing some amazing things there. And when he said that, uh, he said as he came to this passage, he said, I preach today to myself. I need it. He was laden down with great responsibilities, and he was feeling that pressure. But he come to sum this passage up this way. He simply said, the ableness of God, we never exhaust. The ableness of God, we never exhaust. We've been blessed in so many ways here at Ivy Creek. We have just seen God be so gracious to us as a people and to uh, this church. And he has uh, required much of us. And you are to be commended in the way that you have responded to that and that God has continued to use your faithfulness in that and we continue at times to have to ask more and more of you Uh, some of you this morning you parked in a cul-de-sac or you parked on wet soft grass or you parked over across the street many of you have moved Sunday school classrooms or you have moved worship times when we've had to move schedules around or you sit shoulder to shoulder with new friends as, uh, as we continue to see God just be so gracious to add to our fellowship. But I want you to know that God is going to continue to require more and more of us. And I pray that we embrace that and that we continue to meet that responsibility knowing that the ableness of God will not ever be exhausted so now with that as our lead-in I want us to read God's Word I want us to look at Ephesians 3 14 through 21 so follow along Uh, I hope you have your Bibles as we read for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask 
or think according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. Father, we thank you for the truth of your scriptures. Father, we thank you for how it bears witness with our hearts. And Father, I pray that in this time that we have to look at it, I pray that it would please you that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us individually. Father, I believe that you desire to do that this morning because, Father, I believe that you are concerned intimately and personally about every person in this room. And, Father, that you desire to speak a word of truth to them, a word of encouragement. And, Father, I pray for our hearts to be submitted before you. Father, I pray that we, like Paul, that we would bow. And we would bow our hearts before you that you could speak. And, Father, that we could be found listening to what you desire to say to us. Father, I pray that you would be pleased, honored, and glorified in this time. In Christ's name, amen. As we come to this passage, this is the second prayer that Paul has prayed for the church at Ephesus that's recorded in the book of Ephesians. And the first one's in chapter 1, it's in verses 15 through 23. And the, the prayer that is there is much more of a focus on enablement. And uh, as um, he says there, it, uh, that, it, that when I was looking uh, and Warren Wisby was talking about the first prayer, he said, it's not so much of a matter of knowing as being. Laying our hands on what God has for us and by faith making it a vital part of our lives. Paul says it this way, I want you to get your hands on the wealth, the riches, and realize how vast it is and start to use it. The riches of God's glory, no wealth in material terms, but what God has stored up that he desires to lavish in and on our lives for his glory and for the advancement of his church. The first thing that Paul addresses here is he begins and he talks a little bit about what his posture and he says that he, he bows before the Lord. And here we sometimes use this as being a prescriptive way for us to pray. But we don't see that throughout Scripture being consistent. And because we see that there are those who pray and that they pray standing up. We see some where they pray and they pray prostrate, laying flat on the ground before God, asking for his blessings and his grace on their lives that they pour out their souls. What we see here really is how our hearts are to come before God. If we're going to come before God in prayer, we have to be willing to submit our will and ourselves before God and come acknowledging our great dependence and our great need of him to meet our needs 
and to meet our condition to where we are empty without him. We also see that Paul addresses him as God the Father. We must understand that everything originates from God the Father. Everything emanates from Him, that God is the creator of all things, that He is the origin not only of all that is in, on earth, but all that is in heaven, and that when we come before Him, we should do it with reverence and an acknowledgement of His grandness and His splendor. As we look at this pastoral prayer from Paul, we see four things that Paul wants for these Christians, that he wants to see them to have more and more of in their lives. The first thing that we see is in verse 16, we see that Paul wants the church to realize that they have access to more strength. God's strength. God's strength is more than we can ask for, think, or imagine. Here's how Paul writes it. He says that God may grant you to, uh, to be strengthened according to the riches of his glory. According to his riches. Now, this morning, if you just so happen to be one of the approximately... 1800 billionaires that are in the world and if you were so inclined to give me a gift and you were so desirous and you gave me a gift of a hundred dollars that's very generous I think we would all agree in in all of our terms but you would be giving to me from and out of your wealth I think we could agree that for one of those 1,800 billionaires, $100 is probably significantly less than a rounding error. But if you were so inclined to give a gift according to or in proportion to your wealth, now that would be a much different story. Well, here we see that God desires to give us strength from his rich supply according to his riches and glory. Paul goes on in his prayer and he states that you be strengthened with might or really probably a, a little better translation there is with power through the spirit in your inner man. Or being you see the pattern here it's through the spirit that you see strengthened through power in the spirit and in your inner man in your inner man Paul addressed the inner man over in 2nd Corinthians 416 when he said this even though your outward man is wasting away you know, most of us, even this week, could probably give testimony to how our outward man is, it's, it's wasting away. There's, uh, there's some stuff just doesn't work quite as well as it used to. 
And uh, there's at times where we wonder why that part just fell off. It's just, you know, and, but there, we, it's very easy for us to see that our, we're just, we're wasting away. But he says your inward man is being renewed day by day. God has more strength for you than you can ask or imagine. You know, at our house, we have three children, and uh, one of the things that has been, since they were young, something that we just would not allow them to say very often was two words, I can't. When they would come and they would be have a difficult task or would be trying something new, and they came and said, I, I, can't, do, I can't do that. I, I had very little patience with that as a father. I don't mind them saying, this is really hard. I need help with it. I'm great with that. But an attitude of I can't was one of those that we just have never had patience with and very much tolerance of at our home. And as I was preparing this sermon, I ran across a, uh, a statement that was made by uh, Stephen Rummage. Stephen is the president of the Florida Baptist Convention and pastor of a, a church down in middle uh, Florida. And he said that he had learned a simple truth in 10 words. And I want to share those 10 words for you. And I believe that it can be encouraging and a help to you when we think about the strength that we need and relying on God's strength that he offers and that he gives us and desires to give us. It says, I can because God can and he lives in me. Okay, did y'all get those 10 simple words? I can because God can and he lives in me. You know, I don't know what you faced last week. I don't know what you're going to face this coming week. But I have no doubt that there is going to be something in the days to come when you're going to need to be reminded of that truth. I can because God can and he lives in me. That is our blessing if we know Christ as our Savior and our Lord that we have access to more strength than we can imagine. And the truth that we come to and understand is that your strength is not dependent on you. Your strength is not dependent on you. Paul spoke this in uh, 2 Corinthians 12. And he said, "My as he was recording the words that Jesus spoke to him, he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And this revelation caused him to declare for when I am weak then I am strong the second thing that we see after looking at there's more strength than we can imagine is that Paul wants for the church and for us as believers that there and he wants more of Christ for us more of Christ more of Christ's presence in our lives. If you have faith in Christ, and it is my prayer that every person in this room knows Christ as their Lord and Savior, that you have a relationship with Him. And if you do not, today is the day for you 
to invite him and accept his offer of salvation in your life that you can be transformed by the knowledge of Jesus Christ and faith in him and forgiveness from your sins. But if you have already trusted in Christ, then you have the possession of his spirit living within you. The presence of Christ's spirit living inside of you, the indwelling spirit of God, Jesus Christ has come to take full residency in your life. He wants full access in every part and every aspect of your life. One thing that we enjoy at, at our home and we have for years is the opportunity to occasionally enjoy in sporting events and to go and watch professional and college teams play. And one of our favorite things to do is to go down to North Avenue and down on the flats and watch a, a certain ball team play down there. And I know that for some of you, you would rather be between some hedges over on the other side of town or maybe across the state line, and I understand that. But for our family, that's where we enjoy being. And a couple years ago, we got an invitation from a friend that called me up late in the week and said, Ted, I've got some extra tickets to go to the Tech football game. Would you like to go? I was like, how many? He said, five. I was like, well, I got five people that would like to go. And so we ended up going down, and he said, get there early. He said, we'll just enjoy it, make an entire day of it. So we did. We ended up there, and he came, and he gave us our tickets. He said, but now y'all wait right here. And he said, I've got to go and see a guy. I'll be right back. So he comes back, and he has another badge. And I had never seen this badge before, and definitely had never been in possession of one. But it was a, a badge that was an all-access pass. And he proceeded to lead us into the Georgia Tech locker room and where the players would soon gather and get ready for the game and we met various folks uh, former and some present uh, from uh, the the Tech family and you know it was just amazing I mean it was a tremendous experience and I mean and the boys enjoyed it too but I mean it was a really good experience being there and, ex and seeing all of this but after we did that, he let us out, and then he took us down a tunnel and out on to Grant Field where they were warming up. And everywhere we'd go, we'd just show this badge, and yes, sir, you, you went, went through because we had the right pass. And so we went there, and then after we finished that and they were getting ready to start the game, they said, you know, it's time for you all to, to go to your seats. We went, and... They led us up, and we, we got on the elevator. We showed our pass again, and they led us to a suite, and we sat there, and we watched the game there. But the reason that they allowed us to do that is because of our all-access pass. Because every other game I had ever gone to in my life, I got a ticket that entitled me to a seat. I could go to that seat. I could go to the concession stand and the quarter, but then I came back to that seat. Well, my friends, for many of us, what we have given Jesus Christ in our lives is we've given him a ticket to a seat. And we've said, you can sit right here. You can be right here. You can go in this area and this area, but no more. Just right here. 
My friends, Jesus Christ did not come into mine and your lives to have a, take a seat. He came into mine and your lives to take over our lives because we need Him to do that. We stand in great need of Him to take control of our lives because when we are in control of it, we make a colossal mess of it. We need desperately to give Christ an all-access pass to every, every aspect of our lives. The next thing that we see is that God wants us to have more of His love. More love, more of God's boundless love in our lives. Here we see Paul describes it this way. We are to be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted is an agricultural term of receiving nourishment and flourishing from being planted in the right spot. Having the right nourishment in our lives that we can experience and that we can practice God's love in our lives. But also, God's love provides our lives with structure and stability. He wants us to be grounded. Architectural term that he wants us to have a foundation that we can be built up strong when the challenges that we face in this life come to tear us apart and to destroy us and to pull and tear us down. Romans 8, 38. Paul talks about this. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor anything present nor things to come nor heights nor depths nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But also he continues on talking about the love of God having more of God's boundless love he says we must be able to comprehend his love. The word comprehend, we're not talking about a mental exercise of understanding His love. Trying to wrap our hands around how can God love us with an unending love. It's not wrapping our hands around it in that respect and wrapping our mind around it. It is the idea of apprehending. To take and to grasp hold and take hold of the truth of God's love in our lives. He follows that call to comprehend it up with that with all the saints that we're to do that. Do you know there is no way that we can come to understand and experience the love that God has for us in isolation. We have to do it in community. We have to do it where we're doing life alongside one another. Where we're rubbing up against one another, where we're loving on folks when they're going through great times and we're loving on them wherever they're going through hard times. But also, we have to do it when we rub up against folks and they've got bumps and they've got bruises and they've got a few warts and we've got a few warts and we've got some rough edges. That's where, 
we grow deeper in God's love for us and we come to understand it in a greater degree is not in isolation, but it's in community that we do that. Jesus talks about this in John 13, 34 and 35. He says this. He says, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, you also love one another. Our call is for us to show God's love to each other. It's a testimony before those who are outside the church that we are disciples of Jesus Christ when we love one another. Over and over, I hear this testimony from folks that visit this fellowship. That's the warmest, most loving fellowship that we have ever experienced. That's a great testimony. We are, thank God for that. He has been so gracious in that. But I pray that we do not become prideful in that and arrogant, but that we remain humble, but we also that God would guard our hearts and that we would continue to walk in that of loving one another, that we could be a testimony before our community and our world of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, living in community and loving one another, and that we would grow in more and more love for Christ and for each other. The next thing that we see is that we see the width, the length, the height, and the depth of the love that God has. When we look at the, the width of the love that Christ had for us when he stretched out his arms on the cross, dying for our sins and our failures and our mess-ups, when we think about the length of his love that has no bounds, that from the beginning of, of time that he's always loved us. There's never been a time when he didn't love us. Before the earth was created, he loved us. And there'll never be a time that he does not love you and I. But then, also to understand that there's no height. There's no height that we can ascend. There's no position, no point in this life that we can ever ascend to where we do not need God's love in our lives. But also, be encouraged today. There's no depth. There's no place that you can fall to. There's no sickness that can take you. There's no despair, anxiety, or depression that can take you to the point where you're outside of the love of God. Reminded of a pastor who told a story of a friend of his who was diagnosed with leukemia when he was in his 30s. And after a three-year battle, he was on his deathbed. And he had, his family had called him and said, Hey, I want you to know your, your friend's very close to the end, and we just wanted you to be aware. And he went to his hospital bed, and he knelt beside it there. And uh, his friend, almost unrecognizable. And as he was there bowing beside him and said, Hey, I, I'm here. I just wanted you to know, I just, just wanted to be here with you. 
his friend told him, he said, I, I, I got something I want to tell you. So his friend whispered to him and he said, life is not like a VCR. Well, his pastor friend looked somewhat like you guys are looking. He didn't know what he meant by that. And, but he, fortunately, his friend followed it up and he said, life is not like a VCR. He said, you don't get to fast forward through the bad times. He said, you have to go frame by frame. You have to take each one of them as they come. He said, but what I've learned is that God is with me and that he loves me. And I've found that that is enough. God has more love for you than you can imagine, think, or ask for. Now as we move and we look at our final point this morning, here in this passage we see Paul. He tells us that there is more fullness, more fullness of God than we could ask or imagine. God wants you to be filled and overflowing with his fullness, having every benefit, attribute, and characteristic of himself. Paul said it this way in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Our lives must be permeated with all that God is. But we must not be unwise or ignorant. We must realize that we have an enemy that desires to destroy us. And also, we have a flesh that wars within us that wants to control us. And wants us to li not live with the fullness of God. Many years ago, as a result of a, of a sermon that I heard preached, I began praying this simple prayer most mornings. Most mornings when I head to the office, I pray this simple prayer. Say, Lord, I need you to crucify my flesh today. I need you to crucify my flesh that your spirit can have full reign in my life and that I can be filled with your spirit to make decisions that would please you and honor you and that would be wise. That simple prayer of crucifying my flesh that your spirit could have full reign in my life. You know, when we were talking earlier about when we love one another and when we demonstrate that love to one another. It's a testimony to the world that we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a statement that we're disciples. John tells us that. Well, I was told of a practice of trainers at Walt Disney World, you know, the most magical place on earth. A few of you have been there. And, but 
one of the practices that they have there is to tell their new cast members that are coming in and are going to be their face and represent them. They tell them a story. And they tell them that Snow White never has a bad day. And as they tell that, they tell them about a family of four. Family of four that have driven a long car ride, have endured the tram, have managed to get on the train, and have made it to Main Street, USA. And the little girl, she has one thing she wants to see. She wants to see Snow White, get her autograph and her picture taken. And as she walks down Main Street, USA, she sees the back of Snow White. And she goes up and she taps her on the back. But there's one thing that this little girl didn't know, is that that day, Snow White was having a bad day. And as a result of that, she's rude and very harsh to that little girl. Ruins the little girl's entire trip. Well, you may wonder, what does that have to do with us? Well, just as that cast member is an ambassador and a representative of Disney World, you and I have a greater responsibility. We are ambassadors and representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ to a community that doesn't know him and in many respects doesn't care anything about him. But we must be careful that day in and day out that we are praying that God you would fill me. That when I encounter those who don't know you that I'm not having a bad day. That wherever I encounter them that you can by your grace and your mercy and your strength that you can allow me to be gracious and loving and kind to them that they can see there's something different that they are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and that is what is the difference it doesn't mean that we walk around that we're fake and everything's great and wonderful and glorious that's not what we're talking about it talks about what we're talking about is that we emulate the life of Christ sacrificing ourselves and our wants and even our feelings and emotions of the moment realizing that there are those that we encounter and most that we encounter who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord it, it's my prayer that this morning we catch a glimpse that God desires for you and I to have more strength, more of Christ, more love, and more fullness than you can imagine or think. Our sermon in a sentence is this. God wants to give you more of what you need most, but you must want it, ask for it, and believe that He is able to do abundantly exceeding above all that you can fathom. You know, I, I really wanted to just use the last two verses of this passage as my sermon in a sentence because I think it does so much better than my words of encapsulating what this passage means. But I knew that Pastor Craig would make fun of me that I didn't have my own sermon in a sentence. And so I, I refused to do that. But I want to read for you those verses, the last two verses, one more time. 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church, to Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Him who is able to do all. But it wasn't enough to just say all. Paul comes back and says, above all, and then abundantly above all, and then finally, he says, exceedingly abundantly above all that we can imagine. That, that's the God that we have the opportunity to serve. That is the desire that he has for you and I. But that promise that he has of wanting more and more and more for us is predicated on the fact that Jesus Christ dwells within us. I'll finish with this story. Back in the 1950s, a pastor by the name of Robert Munger wrote a short booklet. It was called uh, My Heart, His Home. And the booklet, it's, it, we'll attach a link to it. It's uh, public domain, and we'll attach a link to it on the website. It's a quick read, but it's much worth the time. But in that, he talks about a man who comes to the door of his home, and Jesus is standing there. He opens the door, and he invites Jesus in. And they begin to tour his home. And... He takes him from room to room. But what he quickly realizes is that there are things in each room that are amiss and shouldn't be there. And they begin purging and replacing certain things as they go from the study to the dining room to the living room and so forth throughout the house. And so Jesus is invited to stay. The man goes to work, comes back home one day, and he's met at the door by Jesus. And as he is met at the door, Jesus said, we, we've got a terrible problem. There is a horrible odor in the house. I found where it's coming from, but it's coming from a, behind a door that's locked and that I have not been in. Immediately, the man knows what it is. And within him, there's a certain anger that's built up. Of Jesus, you've got the whole house. Why do you need this room? And he takes the key and he holds it, refusing to give it to Jesus, that he can open it and expose that dead, rotting, old life that's there, that still he's clinging on to. But in that, he ends up with just enough strength to hand over the keys. He said, I can't do anything about what's in there. I've tried. I don't have the strength. And at that time, Jesus says, I'll take care of it. It'll all be gone. And in a moment, it is. It's all gone. It's repainted. It's fresh and it's new. 
And at that point, the man experiences great joy and peace. And he says, Jesus, how about you just take title to the whole house? How about you just take it all and do that with the whole house? Well, for you and I today, many of you, for many years, Christ has been your Lord and Savior. But we oftentimes need to do a search and check on those areas that we got the key that we haven't released over to our Lord and Savior. And I would just ask you this question as I have worked through this myself and preached it to myself this week is whose title is your house in? The temple of the Holy Spirit. Who holds that title? Are you still holding the title to it? Or does Christ hold the title to that? Let's pray.